so it was this time last year that I was expecting my own little miracle. I was as pregnant as pregnant could get, and I was due three days after Christmas. And my friends and family were actively on baby watch. They were excessively texting me, leaving comments on my Facebook page, admitting that they were stocking it to see if this baby had arrived. And I was full on in hiding mode. I wasn't even hibernating or nesting. I was hiding. I was vowing to myself I could not tell one more person, "Ah, yes, I'm fine. No, I'm not having contractions yet. Yes, I will let you know when they start. I figured there had to be some secret high-stakes gambling pool, and the, redi- the winning so ridiculous that pre- prodding a pregnant lady was socially acceptable. It had been 17 years after all. 17 years of hoping and desiring children only to be disappointed over and over again. And then just like that, the wait was over. And we were getting ready to welcome our dearly loved, highly anticipated and hoped for baby into the world. And now almost a year later, here she is. Look at that cheesy smile. She gets that from her dad. Her name is Lillian and she's perfect. As perfect as any dearly loved child could be. Do you recognize her? She is one of those tri-pie babies that got you to buy lots of pie this Thanksgiving as if you needed an incentive. There is something so sweet when the long-anticipated happens. Isn't that the magic of the Christmas season? Isn't that why we secretly watch all those lame Hallmark movies? Isn't that why you drug yourself out of bed today or drug the person sitting next to you out of bed? We want to find hope. We want to be inspired. Maybe we want to escape from our present reality. Or maybe we just want to know if this Jesus thing is real. Did you know he had the most peculiar story of birth? It's really quite strange. It happened a long time ago with a girl named Mary, and she was pledged to marry a man named Joseph. And then she gets visited by an angel. And so let's pick up the story from the Bible. It's in the Gospel of Luke, and the words will be on screen, and I will read it to you. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy... Elizabeth is Mary's relative, who also, like me, was pregnant in her old age, and she gave birth to a great prophet named John the Baptist. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man, Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him his, him Jesus. He will be great, and you will call the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him his throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, who was 
who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. In this short passage from the Bible, we just encountered one of the most profound mysteries at the central core of Christianity. Here's the concept. When Jesus came, he came as both fully God and fully man. The angel actually reveals this to Mary. This is what the angel said about who Jesus was going to be. The angel said he will be great and he will be called son of the most high. So the angel is referring to Jesus' divine nature. No one in the biblical narrative had ever been called the son of God before. So this is a first. This is Jesus' divine nature. Then he goes on to say, the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. David was the king of Israel, and he is going to be the ancestor to Jesus. Then the angel said, um, he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. So again, this shows Jesus' human nature, because Jacob is an important part in Israel's history. And then the last thing the angel reveals is that this kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, will never end. It will be a kingdom sustained by God himself, one that never ends. So this could only happen by divine design, and this points to Jesus' divine nature. Jesus had two distinctly different natures, yet he was one person. And this news would have been shocking to Mary a Jewish girl who never expected Jesus to come or God to come in the physical. In fact, none of the Jews expected this. So in the same way, this should shock us today because in no other world religion do we see the God of the universe punching a hole between the eternal and the temporal to come into our world and interact with us, to come as God revealed so that we could know him and be known by him. And so here's the one thing, just one thing that I want you to take away with today. Only one thing, so this is important, listen closely. Jesus' two natures means that God is unstoppably for us. That's it. Jesus' two natures means that God is unstoppably for us. So how does Jesus' human nature reveal what God's like? What do we learn about God's heart in this? First, we have to ask ourselves, why is God human? Why does it matter that Jesus was human? Let's go back to this virgin conceiving thing. Crazy, right? Did you think I was just going to gloss over that and not mention how odd it is? It's odd. But I believe it because it's something that was prophesied 400 plus years prior to that. And since God is the creator of life, I guess he can be creative with however he wants Jesus to come into the world. So this is important. So Jesus was conceived so that he could enter the world in the same way all of us enter the world, as a baby, in the most vulnerable state that possibly exists. Now, speaking from past experience, babies do nothing the first several months of their life. Nothing. They eat, sleep, and poop. And that's it. And somehow that manages to consume all of our time. They need constant care and uh, care and attention. And what's worse is they come with a whole list of do's and don'ts. Don't put them on their stomach to sleep. Do feed them every three hours. Don't leave them alone in the bath. Do wash your hands before you pick them up. 
It's amazing we survived those first days. And yet, this is how God entered the world. As a baby. Totally vulnerable, but with the end goal of knowing us. And being known by us. And better, what better way to do that than to understand us and understand what it, the human condition is like? Did you know he had to learn to walk and talk? And he probably had to learn how to share a toy and interact with his brothers and sisters. He had to experience childhood and crazy parents and everything that goes along with growing up. Maybe he had to find a prom date. I don't know. Probably not. He knows what it's like to be hungry and cold and frustrated and hopeless, and I'm sure he felt overwhelmed at times. And I'm sure he faced many fears in life. When I was in the fourth grade, I started playing the violin, so my parents thought it would be a great idea for me to play the first Noel in our Christmas program at church. So here I was standing in front of this grand piano, hacking out this tune from memory, and I was accompanied by an amazing piano player, and he was jazzing up the tune. And because of it, I had absolutely no idea where I was in the song. So I kept playing the chorus over and over and over and over and over and over until finally the piano player just brought the number home and told me to stop. In front of everybody, I was so embarrassed. I was so mad at my parents. I vowed never to do that again. Jesus knows what that's like. His mom put him on the spot at a wedding. The host had run out of wine. And Mary basically ignores Jesus' comments about not involving him. And she thrusts him right into the mix. I mean, it wasn't a perfectly played rendition of the first Noel. But he did turn water into wine. Do you see my point? He knows what it's like to be human. And here's why this matters. It means he can relate to us. He can sympathize with us. He can understand us. And because he understands the full human condition and the full human experience, he can give perfect counsel. If you have a problem, who do you want to talk to? Someone who's never had that problem? Or someone who's had that problem and has come across on the other side of it? When you're on a diet, do you want to talk to a skinny person? No, you do not. The writer of Hebrews tells us why Jesus did this. This is what he said. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus is able to perfectly intercede for us as our high priest in the heavenly realms, because he has experienced the fullness of the human condition, which qualifies him for this role. Now, I know many of you in this room are Catholic, or maybe you grew up Catholic, so this should excite you because your religious traditions have included this type of worship. So for the rest of us, here's what the high priest does. The high priest stands and offers prayers and petition to God on our behalf, and in return pronounces blessings and words of encouragement to us on behalf of God. 
And this is what Jesus is doing in the heavenly realm for us right now. And because he knows how we think and feel and how we struggle, he's able to connect our needs to his abundance of grace and compassion. Right now, in this very moment, Jesus knows and understands and sympathizes with every ache and pain and struggle and joy Everything we came in here with. And he stands before the Father. And he pleads our case. In love. He is for you. Amazing, right? What does the writer of Hebrews instruct us to do? This is what he said. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. So that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I'll read it again. It says, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He's inviting you and he's inviting me this morning and every morning to come confidently and boldly before him to ask for help. And we can do that because Jesus knows what it's like to be us. He knows how hard and frustrating life is and how disappointing it can be. But he promises to respond lovingly, full of grace and mercy to our every need. Since Jesus experienced the fullness of the human condition and now resides in a place where he holds unlimited power to comfort and encourage us, we can run to him. Are you lonely? Are you afraid? Are you hopeless? Have you been betrayed? Do you have unanswered prayer? Because he was fully human, he's been in all of these places, and we can trust him. We can rely on him because he knows what it's like. But also, because he's fully God, he holds the infinite power to comfort, strengthen us, and bring us through the pain, and he will. But it gets better. Because he was God, it also means that our world is not all there is. There is life after death, and all this evil and suffering will one day end. It means there's hope for this world, despite the mess it's in. And it means there's hope for our lives individually, despite how often we mess up. God came down in the person of Jesus Christ, never demanding we pull ourselves up to him, only that we should look to him for our hope. Jesus' two natures mean that God is unstoppably for us. Jesus' two natures reveal God's heart towards rescuing the broken. And if that's true, what would let you stop him from rescuing you this morning? But remember, he also has a fully divine nature. He was both fully human and fully God. And one of the one things I want you to remember is that both of these natures show that God's unstoppably for us. So, what does Jesus' divine nature reveal to us about God's desire to rescue us? If Jesus is God, if he's fully God, then the implication is huge. It means that God initiated the whole rescue mission. This is good news. God himself has come to fetch us. We could never climb up to him, so he came down to us in the person of Jesus. He didn't send messengers telling us how to save ourselves. He came down to us to bring us to himself. This means there's great hope. 
Jesus is God. In the first half of the Bible, every time someone had an encounter with God, they left terrified. One time, Moses asked to see God's face, and God told him the encounter would kill him. So as a compromise, he let him see his backside. Truth, God mooned Moses. That is so great. He hid Moses in the cleft of the rock and let his glory pass by so that Moses could just get a glimpse of his backside. And the encounter changed him, physically changed him. When Moses came down from the mountainside, his face glowed. That's like some stranger thing stuff right there. For a long time, Moses had to wear a veil covering his face because every time the Israelites looked on him, they were so freaked out. Seeing God face to face was terrifying. No one wanted to experience it. Growing up, my friend's house had this awesome popcorn ceiling, but it had glitter in it. I mean, because it was the 80s after all. Why wouldn't you accentuate your fabulous popcorn ceiling with gold glitter? Anyway, we thought that these, the pieces of glitter were actually peepholes that God could spy on us through. What a sobering thought for a seven or eight year old. It's silly to think about now, but isn't that about as much credit as we give God? Maybe we read these accounts in the Bible and because of it, we're a little bit afraid of him. Or maybe we kind of avoid him. Maybe we walked in this morning feeling this way, like we kind of don't really know what God's like. Feeling like he's on the outside, far away, always watching, always judging. There's no way he understands us. There's no way he knows what it's like to be a human. And as a result, he's just waiting for us to mess up. But this is not the message we see in the Christmas story. We see Jesus coming as God himself to make himself known. Or another way to put it is he came so that he could understand us and we could understand what he's like. One writer of the Bible calls Jesus the exact image of God. Alice referred to this last week in her teaching, if you were here. In fact, he started out by saying in the past, God spoke to through prophets such as Moses, but since they never fully understood what God was like, how in the world would they ever relate that to us? But then he sent his son, who is the exact image, the exact likeness, the exact representation of God himself. And so we are able to see God by looking at Jesus. We are able to see God by solely looking at Jesus. This is incredible. Another New Testament writer calls Jesus the image of the invisible God. So do you know what that tells me? It tells me that God himself has come to rescue us through Jesus. Think about what Jesus did while he was on earth. He healed the sick. He forgave sinners. He told stories about what God was like. He associated with marginalized people. He laughed with them. He cried with him. He spent a lot of time with them. He got to know them. They got to know him. He was all in. He left the glory of heaven to come to a dark world full of hatred, pain, and brokenness to become a part of it and to rescue the people in it. And he did it because of his very great love and compassion for us. God initiated the whole rescue mission. So I hope right now in this moment you feel it. 
I hope you sense it. I hope you sense the overwhelming flood of God's love for you. If you were the only person in the world, he would have come for you. He loves you. He is unstoppably for you. And this is why he came fully God, so that you and I could have a relationship with him. And this is why he came fully human, so that you and I could understand him. And so that he could understand us and sympathize with us and relate to us. Jesus' two natures reveal that God's unstoppably for us. His two natures reveal his heart towards rescuing the broken. And we're the broken. But in Jesus, that's not the end of the story. In Jesus, there's hope. Hope for our lives and hope for our world. Now Bradley and Alex are going to come and provide some space for you just to listen to whatever God may be speaking to your heart this morning. He's inviting you and me into a deeper relationship with him. And he's offering to be your friend and your savior. What do you need this morning? Do you need someone to listen, to show compassion to you, to understand you? Jesus is there for you. Do you need someone to rescue you, to forgive you, to show you what God's like? Jesus can do all of those things for you. He is there for you. Jesus' two natures reveal that God is unstoppably for you. So as they sing, will you open your heart to him?
understand and see what you're like by looking at Jesus what a beautiful picture of who you are and your heart for the lost and the broken God thanks for rescuing us for revealing yourself to us in the person of Jesus God what should our response be but to wholly love and adore you thank you for your goodness and your grace and your compassion that is new every morning we're going to spend some time praising you for who you are. We hope that this blesses you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' beautiful and glorious name. Amen. <laughs>